ladies. Good job. Take your Bibles and turn back with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 10. The Bible uses uh, many images to convey the care and protection of God. Perhaps no image, though, is as much beloved as the image of the shepherd and his sheep. To think of that analogy is to instantly bring to mind Psalm 23. David, the king of Israel, who himself was a shepherd, wrote those words that are so familiar to us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me and his rod and his staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You Anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reason that that image, the image of the shepherd, resounds so much with us is it speaks to our heart to know that the God of the universe is intimately concerned for our welfare. In chapter 18 and verse number 10, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over the sheep that, than over the ninety and nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. In our study today, we're looking at what has become known as the parable of the lost sheep or the parable of the seeking shepherd. We find a similar parable told in Luke chapter 15. But there's a principal difference between these two. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is answering the criticism of the religious leadership for associating with known sinners. Jesus uses the parable in that setting to explain that the lost sheep represent unsaved sinners. And in order to save them, just like a shepherd, he himself rejoices when he finds them. So in Luke, the parable speaks of salvation. But in our text in Matthew this morning, Jesus is teaching his disciples and the focus is on the little ones who believe. Thus they are already saved. They are already believers. But when they wander away, 
When they go astray, God seeks them out. I want you to see with me four characteristics this morning of God's care for his children. First of all, he sticks up for his children. Verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now take heed is a warning. A warning that despising one of these little ones is no small offense for even the angels in heaven are watching over them. We need to remember that when Jesus speaks of little ones here, he is not speaking of children literally, though he certainly does not exclude them. The little ones were identified for us in verse number 6 as those who believe in me. And thus we should understand this in the sense of believers, especially those young and immature in the faith. The warning is expressed as a negative command. See that you do not despise. Now despise is a word that literally means to think down. Or it is reflecting of looking down on someone as being inferior or not worthy of consideration. The command really has to do with how we treat fellow believers. An interesting part of this verse is where he says, For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father. People have taken this verse above all others to support the idea of guardian angels. Guardian angels is the idea that every person, especially children, have a particular guardian angel that, because, that is theirs for life, protecting them from harm and helping them in various ways. But if in fact that was what is meant here, it would be such a significant point we would see references elsewhere in Scripture, and we do not. In fact, even here, we do not see the angels guarding the little ones, but rather of bringing their situation before the Father. Now, there are other references that people use to try to support the idea of guardian angels. One is that found in Daniel, in which Daniel talks about the archangel Michael as the protector of the Jewish people. And of course, in the New Testament, there is Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, which refers to ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who would inherit salvation. The service said here to be rendered to believers is described in a very general way. Not a word is said here or about any of these scriptures about a believer having a guardian angel. But why would you settle for one angel? When the Bible really says we don't just have one angel looking out for our welfare. The truth is that we have all the angels looking out for our welfare. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now I could have spent the rest of the morning providing you with stories of angelic protection. You've probably read them yourselves, and I will only share one with you this morning. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrid Islands 
One night, the hostile natives surrounded the mission station, intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. Patton and his wife knelt in prayer, and they prayed throughout that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight finally came, they were amazed to see their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of that tribe was converted to the Lord. Remembering what had happened, Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Well, who were all the men that were with you there? Patton knew no men were present, but the chief said he was afraid to attack because he saw hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. I do believe there's a spiritual battle going on in this world that is unseen to us. And part of that is the angelic war that is all around us. God sticks up for his children. And secondly, God shepherds his children. Not amazingly, perhaps, 100 sheep was an average flock in Israel, and the shepherds tended their flocks together in open country. Each evening, as they brought their sheep into the fold, the shepherds would count their sheep as they came in, and they knew each of their sheep individually, and the shepherd would know if every one of his flock was not present. The first thing I want you to notice is the straying sheep. Sheep need constant supervision because they are, well, how shall I put it? They are intellectually challenged. The fact is that they are not only not very bright, but they are willful. Sheep can and do wander off easily, and they don't have a good sense of danger. They desperately need a shepherd. Now, see if any of these sound familiar to you, because there are many reasons why sheep may stray away. Number one, they may be attracted by something out in the wilderness, away from the flock and the shepherd. Two, sheep as a species are naturally aimless, not particularly paying attention to where they're going. And number three, sometimes the sheep refuse to pay any attention to the warning of the shepherd or the example of the other sheep. I want you to notice in the parable that God is the shepherd. And the lost sheep, of course, represent us. Way back in Isaiah 53, 6, the Bible says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. A shepherd once gave a three-word definition for, to describe sheep. They are dumb, they are defenseless, and they are directionless. They are dumb. You know, you, I have yet to see a trained sheep act in the circus. You won't see one. They're dumb. In addition, almost all animals have either claws or sharp teeth or quills or 
a hard shell or they're at least fast to escape the predators. But sheep have none of these. They have no defenses. Sheep get lost easily, too. They're not homing pigeons. They're not like cats and dogs that can find their way back home. But sheep are rather clueless about how to find their own way back home. In many respects, we are the same way in our ability to rescue ourselves when we find ourselves away. We, too, can be dumb and defenseless and directionless. And like sheep, we have a tendency to wander away from God. The old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know, it really can be unnerving to be lost, can it? How many of you have ever been in a strange city and got lost? If you've ever been in a strange city, you've probably been lost at some point. But apparently you were only lost temporarily because you're here. You found your way home sooner or later. In this passage, Jesus uses the word lost to speak of a spiritual condition. The word L-O-S-T, lost, is one of the scariest four-letter words in the human language. In fact, the biblical description of those who do not know Christ as their Savior is not unsaved. It's lost. In Ephesians 2.12, the Apostle Paul described those who are without Christ as without hope and without God in this world. Perhaps there's no better illustration of this than the, the image of the little boy who is lost in the supermarket. Finally, a worker finds this crying child and says to him, well, what's the matter? Why are you crying? He says, I'm lost. I'm lost. I can't find my daddy. For the little boy, lost means absent from his father. And so it is with us. The parable shows us that like the little ones, the sheep need to be with the flock. For that is the only place that they can truly be safe. But for some believers, not having really grown in the Lord, they drift away. Others who were perhaps dependent on their emotions grew cool and wandered away. And some are stubborn and willful and they don't like to follow, period. And so they wander away. Others are hurt. And they allow that hurt to turn to bitterness. And in anger, they turn away. They've turned away from the flock. But fortunately, we have a sympathetic shepherd. A sympathetic shepherd. A lost sheep in the Judean wilderness was doomed. The shepherd took whatever time was necessary to search for his sheep. He had to expose himself to the same dangers of the wilderness and of the weather that the sheep did. The same lions and the same wolves were stalking the sheep would also be stalking him. And the longer the sheep remained lost away from the flock, the greater the risk of being destroyed. The word shepherd has a long and rich heritage 
in the Old Testament. But there's a scandal involved, the scandal of the uncaring attitude of the priesthood, the religious leadership who as teachers of the law were considered the under-shepherds of Israel, God's under-shepherds. Yet the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 34 had some very, very harsh words to say concerning these men. In verses 1 and 2, he wrote, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, should they not shepherd feed the flocks. And then verse 10, it says, And thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. And I will deliver my flock from their mouths, and they will no longer be food for them. And thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. The religious under-shepherds of Israel could have not cared less about the sheep, but the shepherd could not have cared more. In fact, Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34, 12. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. In John chapter 10, there's a great description of Jesus as the good shepherd. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The words found in John chapter 10 are so comforting because it tells us how intimately the shepherd knows his sheep, so well that he knows their names. Jesus knows your name, and you are important to him because Jesus shepherds his sheep. But notice third, that he seeks his wayward children. He begins with a question. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains to seek the one that is straying? This whole parable hangs on one word, loss. L-O-S-S, loss. When the shepherd finds one sheep missing, he does something that really is quite surprising. He leaves the 90 and 9 in the care of another shepherd, and he goes out into the wilderness to seek that single lost lamb. On paper, the loss of a, a single lamb really does not affect him that much economically. But because each of the sheep has individual value to the shepherd, he begins his search immediately. He searches because he cares for each of his sheep. Remember, that's what God is like. Have you ever heard the statement, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one? If you haven't, you're not a very good Star Trek fan because the analytical Dr. Spock said those words, but Jesus didn't say anything like that. 
God is more concerned about the individual than with the group. God deals with us as individuals, not as groups. I'll say something surprising to you. God cannot save this congregation. But he will save every individual in this congregation who will accept his love and forgiveness. You don't get saved by hanging around other saved people. Sometimes you might even get depressed by hanging around some saved people. It doesn't work that way. You have to have a personal encounter and relationship with the shepherd yourself. Now, some people think that the shepherd is foolish for leaving the 90 and 9 sheep and go in search of the one. After all, you have to figure in some attrition. You have to figure in some depreciation. What's the big deal if one is lost? You still have 99. That's only a 1% loss. But with God, every individual matters. And this search that goes on is not just a token gesture. He pours his heart and his energy into the task. Now, this is a new idea. In fact, it is a startling idea to the people Jesus is telling the story to. They've been taught by the rabbis that God will, yes, welcome repentant sinners, but the idea that God actually seeks out sinners is a totally new insight. In fact, in the other religions of the world, if you'll just examine them on the outside, you'll find that man is seeking and searching for God. But it is Christianity alone that you find the God of the universe seeking and searching for the lost. God seeks his wayward children. Finally, he rejoices over his children. I struggle for hours with the meaning of two phrases in these two verses. I am not exaggerating. Verse 13, the phrase, and if he should find it. And the inclusion of the word perish in verse 14. Here's my thinking. Did that mean that there were some sheep that could not be found? Does that mean that there are some people who come into the flock and are identified, at least for a while, as Christians, but who at sometimes walk away into a life of sin and never return, who are truly Christians? No. It only reveals that they were not truly Christian at all. Does the word perish mean that this whole idea, all that he has said is not directed to the saved who wandered away, but to the lost? Now you may or may not agree with me, but I finally came to the point after all these hours of analysis and pulling and trying to understand that Jesus really had just a simple parable here, and I was overanalyzing what he was trying to say. I want you to take this verse, and I just want you to circle one word in it. 
There's one word in these verses that's important, super important, rejoices, rejoices. Notice what happened when the shepherd found the lost lamb. He didn't scold the lamb. He didn't take out a whip and drive the lamb back to the flock. Instead, the shepherd picked up the lamb and he carried him on his shoulder all the way home. This demonstrates that salvation is really something that Jesus does for us, not something that we do for ourselves. He really does it all. He carries us home. Maybe you need the shepherd to allow him to pick you up and carry you home today. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus in a personal, intimate way, and perhaps you need to do that today. Perhaps you've been away from the flock and you recognize the need to return. You need to write this reference in your outline this morning. It's not there under number four, Zephaniah chapter three and verse 17. Zephaniah the prophet says of God, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I'm going to say to you this morning, if this analogy had a thousand sheep instead of a hundred, I believe that he would have left the 999 and gone out after the one. Why? Because it is the character of our God to love the individual and to seek the lost. Now, here's a really strong thought for you. If you were the only person on earth who was lost and needed a Savior, I believe that Jesus would still have come to this earth and gone to the cross and died for your sins. Because that is why Jesus came to this earth. The bad news is without God, you are lost Lost, lost. But the good news is that God loves you so much, he died on the cross. The cross. The cross. Verse 11 said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It was the nature and is the nature of God to seek the lost. The primary purpose of the church was and still remains bringing the lost into the flock. Bill Ibels, the pastor of Willow Creek Church, says, We have never locked eyes with anyone who did not matter to God. Matthew Barris is a journalist for the Sunday Times, a man who by his own confession is not a Christian. He wrote, The New Testament offers a picture of God who does not sound at all vague. He has sent his Son to the earth. He has distinct plans for each of us personally and communicate directly with us. We are capable of forming a direct relationship individually with him, and we are commanded to try. We are told that this can be done only through His Son, and we are offered the prospect of eternal life, an afterlife in a happy and blissful and glorious circumstances that can be ours. Now, here's what I want you to hear. 
This man, not a Christian. Friends, if I believed that, even a tenth of that, I would not care what version of Bible you used. I would drop my job. I would sell my house. I'd throw away all my possessions. I'd leave my acquaintances. And I'd set out into the world burning with a desire to know more. And when I found more, to act upon it and to tell others. Far from being puzzled that the Mormons and the Adventists should knock on the door, I am unable to understand how anyone who believed what is written in the Bible could choose to spend their time doing any other endeavor. Since this whole teaching has been directed to his disciples, and since he had directed their attention to his purpose in verse 11, which was to seek and to save the lost, he obviously wants his disciples to share his heart and to care for individuals. Now remember what precipitated the telling of this parable. The disciples had been engaged in an argument. They were arguing about who of them should be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In this parable, Jesus answers their question. The greatest believer is the one the most like the shepherd who gave himself for us. We are never more like our heavenly father than when we exert ourselves for others. And if God rejoices over the one who is being brought back home, then he surely is rejoicing over those who are helping to do it as well. Let's pray. Father, you know us intimately. You know the secrets of our heart. You know where we've been. You know what we've done. And yet you tell us that no one is beyond your grace. No one is beyond your forgiveness, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done. Father, I pray for those who may not have made a decision who may not have followed you in the sense that they have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They cannot, in, in any real sense, say, the Lord, he is my shepherd. If there's one here that is in that condition, would you help them to understand this morning that we are all sinners, every one of us in this place, and our sins separate us from a holy God. Something must be done to satisfy that sin. But that Jesus has already come. He's already gone to the cross and taken our place. And all we really have to do is accept that payment. So if there's one here today, would you help them to understand that they will repent of their sins and turn to you and right here, right now, ask you to forgive them that you will. There may be others who know they're saved, but they've wandered away. They've been drawn away by things in the world or wandered away because of problems in their life. And you're calling them home. Father, I pray that you'd help them this morning. Help them, first of all, to forgive themselves. They may be really, really giving themselves a hard time. 
but help them to understand that you are willing to forgive us no matter where we've been or what we've done. And for those of us who are saved and we're just going about our lives without much concern, help us to really understand that you want us to have the same kind of love and concern for the people around us, the people who are truly lost in that they're unsaved, they do not know you in a personal way, and with those that we know have been a part of the flock at one time but have wandered away. Help us to have that love that you have, that concern and that compassion. Help us to seek them and that we pray for them and that we reach out to them. Lord, whatever you want to do in this service, we want to turn this time over to you. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.